Today's episode examines the amazing truth about why Jesus transcends people like you and me. It will provide for you the four greatest reasons why he excels that will make you better. Thank you for joining me today on Emmaus Road Chronicles, Bible studies that concentrate upon the references that Jesus used from the Old Testament to prove to his friends on the road to Emmaus truths concerning his death and his resurrection. Today we return to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapters 1, 2, and 3. No, we won't cover all those chapters, but we'll take parts from each of those three chapters to examine truths concerning the Lord Jesus himself. We'll start with Genesis chapter 1, the book of beginnings, the chapter of beginnings, in which God creates all things out of nothing. It is a chapter of creation of all things that we observe in our world today, God created. And Genesis chapter 1 records it for us. And we can read it there, this history of God's creation. What does this tell us about God himself? Well, it tells us that God exists. It tells us that God exists prior to all matter. It tells us that God transcends all of creation. It tells us that God is omnipotent with his power and that he can just speak the word and things come into being. That's Genesis chapter 1. But we want to look in this chapter at something about the Lord Jesus and it begins with the first man, Adam. We read about God's creation of him in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, and I think verse 27 along with it. How God created Adam from the dust of the earth. And it tells us some things about Adam that will be helpful to us to understand ourselves as humans and how Christ differs from us as a human. What do they tell us about Adam's condition? Well, it tells us that Adam was human. It tells us that God created him in his own image. So there's some aspects about Adam and about us that are reminders to us about God himself. It tells us that Adam could interact with God because he did. God gave him commands when he created him. So there's this interplay between God and Adam back in that very first chapter of Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 when God created him. He spoke to him, Adam could understand, and had knowledge and ability to interact with God. In Genesis chapter 2, we see another aspect of, of Adam. God placed him in the garden in Eden, in which he gave to Adam commands about the care and the protection of the garden, and to tend it and to improve it and to make it beautiful. While there in the garden, we see some other aspects about Adam because he named all of the animals that he observed in the garden. And he worked in the garden. He tilled it. He took care of it. So it shows us some things about humanity that has a mind, an intellect, the ability to reason, to think, to obey God, and to walk in his precepts and to understand him. Then we come to that kind of ominous chapter, chapter 3 in Genesis. This is the chapter where we read about the temptation of Adam and Eve by the, by the serpent who embodied Satan himself, who came to tempt them to disobey God and to eat of the fruit of the tree that God said, Thou shalt not eat of that tree. Well, we all know what happened, unfortunately. Both Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of that tree, 
and they disobeyed God when they did. And so we find that although originally born holy and created holy, we find that Adam had a free will and he chose sin. And he chose to disobey God. He could have continued to obey God throughout all of his life. But instead he chose to disobey God and to satisfy his own desires of his own body. The fruit that looked good and he wanted to taste it. And so he partook of it. And in so doing he disobeyed God. And when he did that, he then became a sinful creature. And his nature changed, no longer holy and free will to obey God. Now he had a captive will, captive to a sinful nature that now became part of his body and his humanity. And so that all of his progeny thereafter, all the way down to you and me, have inherited that same sinful nature that came into Adam and Eve back in the garden when they sinned against God. So that gives us some introduction to the first Adam, the first man that God created from the dust of the earth, it says. Now we read in Scripture that Adam was a picture. He was real. Oh yes, he was real. He existed in history, and we read about him starting in Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of history. But then we also encounter Adam again in the New Testament, where he is shown to be a type of another Adam, the last Adam. And we read about this last Adam in Romans chapter 5. And this last Adam is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And in Romans chapter 5, we read about how Adam was a picture of the Adam that was to come, the second Adam or the last Adam, the Lord Jesus. He was the second one after the first Adam. And we see that there are some similarities between that first Adam and the Lord Jesus, who was not only the second Adam, but the last Adam. And there are some similarities between them that I'll just mention real briefly. They both headed up creations, that progeny came after them. We humans come after Adam, the, the physical first one. And then there are followers of Christ who come after him as progeny and believers and followers of Christ. Both Adams had a will. Both Adams manifested God's image. Adam, the first Adam, was created in the image of God. The Lord Jesus Christ was in excess of that first Adam because he was God in the flesh. So he did also manifest the image of God. There was a uniqueness about the creation. Man had uniqueness about him that none of the other creatures of creation possess. Same way with the Lord Jesus. He was different from every other human that lived upon the face of the earth. Both of them experienced temptation from Satan. We've already mentioned that the first Adam failed in that temptation, and he yielded to that temptation from the devil and sinned against God. They both possessed humanity. So there are some similarities between this first Adam and the last Adam to see how the first Adam could serve as a picture or a type of the last Adam who was to come. But I want us to focus for a moment on how this last Adam excelled the first Adam and what that would mean to you and to me and how that can make us better. 
first of all, Jesus, in manifesting God, excelled Adam's expression of God's image in that the last Adam was God in the flesh. Two natures in one person. A human aspect to the last Adam, the Lord Jesus, and a divine nature. Two natures, one person. So in a greater degree and extent, he expressed and revealed and manifested the very image of God. Then we also notice that they were both tempted by the devil. The first Adam yielded to that temptation. The last Adam resisted the temptation and overcame the temptations of the devil out in the wilderness and then back in the city of Jerusalem to endure greater temptation. And throughout all of his life, the Lord Jesus faced temptation from the devil and from the evil one. And he never yielded one time. And the scriptures tell us that the Lord Jesus was tempted and at all points like as we are, yet without sin. So there was the temptation that Adam, the first Adam faced, and the last Adam also faced the temptation. And then there's a difference in progeny. The effects of the following of the first Adam by humanity, by you and me in our human flesh, how we follow in his footsteps and we have the same sinful nature that he possessed in the garden when he sinned. And then when we become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, we come after Christ and we have his life living within us, changing us into his image. So the effects of the life of Christ, the last Adam, and those of us who choose to follow him and obey him, we have different effects in our lives than just those who follow after the first Adam. How can I summarize this for you? I'll try and just summarize it in just a few words to try and clarify for you and help you understand the distinction between the two and how the Lord Jesus excels the first Adam. In the first Adam, he disobeyed God and his disobedience brought bondage and sin upon humanity, you and me. We are progeny of the first Adam. Christ's obedience abounds in justification and eternal life to all who are made righteous through his free gift of grace, giving us his new life to come and live and dwell within us. The distinction between the two Adams couldn't be more stark, and the change that the Lord Jesus can bring into your life and to mine far excels anything of just pure human life that we inherit from the first Adam. Well, how do these correlate to you and to me? Well, I've briefly hinted at some of it as we've progressed through, but I just want to go back and make sure you see how these truths can relate to your life and to my life. To each of us who have human life, we belong to the first Adam. We are his progeny, and we have inherited his sinful nature that came upon him when he sinned in the Garden in Eden. We stand condemned under God, just like Adam did. We have a sinful nature, just like Adam did. We are separated from God, just like the first Adam. And we are under God's judgment as well. 
Furthermore, if we look at Christ, the last Adam, what purpose can Christ fulfill as far as you and I are concerned, and how can that then improve us and make us better and change us? The Lord Jesus came to exceed the uniqueness that Adam had, the first Adam experienced. We find also that the Lord Jesus had complete obedience to God and his commands in his life, throughout all of his life. We also see that in his death upon the cross, he didn't die there because of anything wrong inherently in him, but he died there on behalf of sinners like you and like me, that he might reconcile people back to God, bridge the gap, as it were, that separates humans from God because of their sin. And he can bridge that gap through his death on the cross so that he can release people like you and me from the bondage of sin that we inherited in our natural birth and can give new life to people like you and me that we can find release from the bondage to sin and experience his new life dwelling within us. Therefore, those of you who have received Christ's gift of righteousness. You know what I mean through some of these things I've tried to explain to you and mentioned. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. You trust upon Christ as your own substitute and Savior. And these serve as a reminder to you of what Christ has done on your behalf so that you can rejoice in what you possess because of your faith in Christ. And in and it can encourage you to walk by faith in Christ and to allow him to invigorate your very life. And you can walk in victory over temptation and sin, experiencing a new life. For those of you who have not yet received Christ's gift of righteousness, you lack faith in Christ. You lack what Christ came to give to people like you and like me. Your condition remains as it was at your birth, as far as your sin nature is concerned, you have no victory over it. You experience bondage to sin and you fulfill the desires of your heart, which are only evil. And you are separated from God with no ability within you to ever reconcile yourself to God or to bridge that gap. You are under his condemnation and his judgment. You lack Christ's righteousness and his life. That can change, however. And I pray that the Spirit of God will come to you today and give to you this new life in Christ and give to you that new birth that only he can give. To people like you and like me, who, in, able as we are to reconcile back to God, in grace, he comes and gives to us that new life. I pray that the Spirit of God in giving you that new life will bring about within you faith to believe and trust upon Christ as your Savior, the one who substituted himself on the cross on your behalf, that he might reconcile you back to God, and that he might begin to produce in you that new life that he came to give. I pray that the Spirit of God will come to you today and transform your life anew. 
Thank you for joining me today on this broadcast from on Emmaus Road Chronicles. If you would like to communicate with me, you can communicate by email. My email address is very simple, hill underscore tom at att.net. Hill underscore tom at att.net. Or you can visit my website at www.masterministries.org. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that the Spirit of God will work in your life and bring to you that new life which only He can bring. I look forward to seeing you on another episode of Emmaus Road Chronicles.